Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and Nightmare Alley, more like Frightmare Alley. Am I right, guys? Because it's what? scary. That's the same thing. A nightmare is a frightmare. It's the same, it's the same, same thing. thing. It's not a Not even a word, actually. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I only hope those old-time geeks can see us now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I had one rule when I started this podcast. It can't be a spook show. <laughs> uh, you can find... Hello, everyone. Those are, of course, all in reference to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Guillermo del Toro's newest film, Nightmare Alley. We'll be joined by Chris Evangelista from SlashFilm.com for that review. Really looking forward to that. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support this podcast, it's very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes, uh, as well as exclusive After Darks. Now, uh, a bunch of sort of programming announcements got to make. First of all, uh, a lot of people wanted us to review Scream 5 when it, when it came out in January. And, and, and we wanted to. We wanted to, um, but we didn't feel comfortable going to theaters or encouraging people to go to theaters uh, during what... Uh, by all accounts, was a massive uh, surge of the Omicron variant in the United States. So that's why we've been reviewing stuff that's been available on video on demand over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, now, Scream 5 has, re- has re- received a tentative video on demand date, uh, and it will theoretically be available on March 1st, 2022. Now, I, I, this is on the Wikipedia page. I've heard it through the grapevine. I think I have every reason to believe that that date is legitimate. Um, so our plan is to review Scream 5 for the episode that is released on the week of March 1st. And in order to lead up to that, we thought, let's revisit all the Scream movies. All 18 Scream movies we're going to be reviewing on the Filmcast After Dark. No, I'm just joking. There's only four. Scream 1 and 2, we're going to be covering on the Filmcast After Dark next week. Scream 3 and 4 the week after. A lot of Scream. Lot of scream. Um, and it is going to be available exclusively to patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. So if you want to hear our reviews of Scream 1 and 2, followed by Scream 3 and 4, culminating with our main podcast episode review of Scream 5, the week of March 1st, uh, then you got to head on over to patreon.com slash film podcast. Yes. Back us on the Patreons. Do it. Join thousands of other people who get those episodes uh, as exclusives. And they love it. They love it. They're, they're loving it. You're going you're gonna to get to hear <laughs> four... Horror movies mm-hmm. reviewed by someone who thinks a frightmare <laughs> is somehow scarier than a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That there are somehow one is scary and the other not scary. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. I, I mean, I didn't say nightmare wasn't scary, Jeff. I was just he saying said like- more like frightmare, indicating that. One is more something than the other, right? It's true. I mean, but by your own admission, you don't even know what a frightmare is. <laughs> That's true. So maybe it's way more scary than a nightmare. But by definition, a nightmare has frights. Is it, oh, by definition. Now you're the <laughs> etymologist who knows all about the definition of nightmare, Jeff. Is that what's happening? It would just be a dream if it didn't have frights. <laughs> anyway, patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, for our Scream retrospective. I'm really excited about this one. We've done a I bunch of cool uh, retrospectives in the past, the Matrices, 
we did Squid Game. We did Midnight Mass. Mission Impossible. Um, yeah. Mission Impossible. Like, that was a project. All, all, oh, all yeah. these retrospectives we've done, most of them available in the after. By the way, I, I do want to point out, if you subscribe at patreon.com slash film podcast, you get access to all of those. All so, of them. Back catalog. Um, yeah, back catalog. But we appreciate all the people that support us over there. Okay. I, and I haven't seen these screen movies since the 90s. Or so. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's going to be a real uh, blast from the past. It's going to be fun. Yeah, indeed. All right. So uh, look forward to that over the course of the next few weeks. Speaking of the next few weeks, uh, going to be a little bit different from a scheduling perspective, folks. Usually we record the podcast on Monday nights and it comes out on Tuesday morning. That's what, like 95% of the time, that is what the podcast schedule is. However, people may realize that uh next week uh, monday is actually uh valentine's day it's actually uh monday night is valentine's day which is when we typically record the podcast uh and we don't wish to record the podcast on monday nights because we all know that what i'm going to be doing that night is sitting alone reading a book Um, we're gonna we're gonna let down our significant others in different ways than just not being there you know (laughs) that's correct a hundred percent a hundred percent so um, as a result of that, as a result of the fact that Scream 5 is coming out on a Tuesday, you know, there's a lot of things happening that are going to prevent us from recording Monday nights. You may see episodes come out uh, a day later than usual. Uh, and that applies to both the main episode and the After Dark. So just FYI, uh, if you're waiting for Tuesday morning for that episode hit, for that dopamine hit of the film cast, you're going to need to wait a day later for the next few weeks just because of scheduling reasons. So sorry uh, about the inconvenience, but thank you for understanding. Unfortunately, uh, we're not doing that this week. And that means that we don't know what the Oscar nominations are. Because by the time you're listening to this, they will have announced the Oscar nominations. And I will probably have some thoughts on them. And yeah. uh, I will be like, unable like to share them on the podcast. Don't look up his best picture, right? Yeah. We, yeah. We, might be looking, we might be staring down the barrel of a future in which don't look up wins best picture. Which will join the likes of Crash and Green Book (laughs) as one of the most infamous wins of all time. I am so (laughs) beyond caring about Best Picture, but Mm, also you want this one. You want this one. I just want to see. I just want to see this. The steam come out of Chen's ears. Sweet, sweet vindication for Jeffrey. Yeah, that'd be so good. Yeah. So anyway, uh, again. The episodes will come out a day later for the next couple of weeks. Um, please forgive us. We'll try to get back to normal sometime in uh, March. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on. A lot of stuff happening over on the Filmcast and on the Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Okay. Bunch of stuff to cover in what we've been watching this week. Devinder Hardwar, I'm going to start with you. Because you saw a movie that's actually out in theaters this week. Uh, yeah. So, Devendra, tell us about what you've been watching. This week, I saw a movie <laughs> where a huge entity from the sky threatens all of humanity, where people are forced to run from the environment gone haywire, and it may or may not involve aliens, but enough about Independence Day the day after tomorrow at Stargate! Nice! Everybody! <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. Let's talk about Moonfall. Uh, this is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen in yes. my life. This movie is truly, truly stupid. So um, this is, Mo- Moonfall is Roland Emmerich's new film. This, yeah. this movie could have been called Don't Look Up. Mm. Yeah. Yes. It, it is. They're, they're very thematically uh, resonant. Like there, There's a lot of that going on around right now. Um, but yeah, this movie is basically 
a stew of every single goddamn Roland Demmerich movie. And I am I'm in the mood for it sometimes. And I think honestly, if I was watching this movie with friends and we were all like a little tipsy and just like poking fun at how dumb it is, um, that could be a good time. Sure. I don't think that, you know, to me that I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing about the movie. Um, but yeah, th- this movie is wild. The moon falls, <laughs> guys. The, the moon, moonfall, moonfall. That is not, not, not since the yes. cinema gave us face, face off, off. <laughs> has there been a movie whose title oh. is so appropriate. And I, uh, yeah, yeah, this movie, honestly, it just kind of, uh, it first uh, made me sad how bad it was and how dumb it was. Um, and then I just kind of accepted it and got into the vibe, I guess. Um, yeah, this movie stars Patrick Wilson as basically every Roland Emmerich main character, a an astronaut who, a disgraced astronaut who he is the, one of the only people who can save the Earth. Um also, uh, Holly Berry, his uh, astronaut friend, who uh, you know, who used to work with him and is no longer friend with, friends with him, and for some reason, Samuel Tarly from Game of Thrones. <laughs> These three people are the only ones who can stop the Moonfall. <laughs> and uh, it, if you have seen an Emmerich movie before, you kind of know what to expect. Like cities get obliterated. Uh, th- there are some like cool effects, which I don't know. I, I, guys, I'm not sure about the science behind this movie. Mm. You know, just, just. Uh, first it's too of all, because Roland Emmerich movies are often known for their scientific verisimilitude. So, you know, when I was reviewing this movie and I saw a screener, I didn't go to the theater, so I, ha- I had like a very, very restricted screener. But uh, you know, studios are trying to get us to talk to scientific consultants about this movie, and I just have to wonder. Like what? What was the contribution here? Um, that, that know, that's what bothers me sometimes. So yeah, it's yeah. fine if your movie is like complete bullshit and doesn't have any science that is recognizable. But oftentimes, like as part of the PR campaign, they'll say like, "Oh no, we talked to scientists. Fast uh-huh. Nine is scientifically. You can actually send cars <laughs> to space. I don't know if you guys know. Yeah, in yeah. the way depicted in the film, you know, um, or something close to that. Yeah. They'll say you can something actually drive off lines. a cliff and connect to uh, a post and like swing, swing to the yeah, other side. I, of the cliff. <laughs> yeah, they'll say stuff like that, and it just drives me up the wall because it's like, it's, okay, uh, right, you can have your fun little movie, but don't sure. try to tell me that it's a real, you know, yeah. don't tell me it's raining if you're, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, whatever uh I, I do think this movie um just like i think the last transformers we reviewed this is a movie where i'm like i'm i'm done i'm done <laughs> with whatever roland emmerich is doing i give up like i just uh i fall to my knees let the moon fall on me because i don't want to do this anymore um <laughs> It's so sad this, because Davindra, I think, was the only one of us that actually cared about Roland Emmerich. No, well, I mean, well, Dave, Dave is the, uh, the the main one here. There was a world where we were going to review this on the as a main review, yes. but we were unfortunately unable to get screeners for it, so yeah. um, we were not going to review it as a main. This review. is a movie but, not worth uh, risking anything for <laughs> to to go to the theaters. Indeed. Um, but yeah, so guys, the moon is falling, right? And as the moon comes closer, it is actually, um, we, we see it more often, apparently. It looms on the horizon as it does. It lifts up water. It lifts up the tide. Soon it starts to mess with gravity. People are lifted off the ground by the moonfall. And Whoa. I don't think that's the way 
this works. <laughs> I don't think that's the way any of this works. So at one, there is a scene where they are running a ca- bunch of characters are just running away from a rising moon on the horizon, and it is <laughs> they're running it away is, from the moon. They're running away from the moon. It uh, is right well, up I there mean, with the happening. Not in, since, in the day after not tomorrow, since, they're running away from weather. You know? Running away from since, cold weather. Yeah. Not yeah. since John Cusack drove away from an earthquake. Yes. Well, yes. and not since Jake Gyllenhaal uh, ran away from Frost. Yes, and not since what's his face, Mark Wahlberg ran away from the wind. Have we seen <laughs> anything as dumb as this? And uh, I don't, I don't. Uh, when I describe this movie to people, they're like, oh, "Yeah, that sounds kind of fun." No, that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying, run away, run away from Moonfall. It is falling towards you. Um, yeah, this movie is real bad, but I'm sure once it hits uh, HBO or something, maybe more people will watch it and. It'll be a fun group watch, but just me, uh, you know, holding my head in my hands at these uh, these caricatures. You know, they're they're not even human beings. They're Roland Emmerich hero <laughs> who must, you know, uh, somehow reunite with his family and uh, you know save his disgraced name. The conspiracy theorist who is proven right. The tough scientist who finally has to break the rules. Like it is, it is all of these movies all over again. And uh, it's it's not even that interesting is the thing. Like, I wish I, I think the greatest in this movie, uh, you know, commits commits, I guess uh, it's boring. I'm describing it with fun here because of how crazy making it made me. Um, but it's a very boring movie and it lasts two and a half, two hours and 10 minutes long. So maybe if it was like tight 90 minutes of just like just the moonfall, you know, just the wild stuff and forget about even giving us characters or something. Um, just, just give me that. Just give me, give me the IMAX Roland Emmerich destroys everything, you know, montage. I'd rather watch that than this. Well, I'm really sorry. You didn't seem to like it that much, despite pushing it hard for our main review. Devendra. Yeah. You know, really, uh, really I think it would have been fun. I think him. it would have been really fun for all of us to tear into this movie. Maybe, we, uh, maybe we still will. Maybe we still, maybe, will. But, you know, uh, so, uh, I'm going to plug this later, but I was talking with Scott Mendelson about this movie and it's, uh, opening weekend. Two movies opened big at the box office this weekend. Jackass forever made $23 million and moonfall made a uh, little under 10. As far as I can tell opening weekend, these kinds of movies used to work. Mm-hmm. Um, not not even that long ago. In 2009, the movie 2012, uh, entitled 2012, right? The Roland Emmerich movie. Yeah. Uh, opened with uh, $65 million uh, and went all the way up to 166 domestic, $800 million worldwide. Yeah. You know what I say to that? And probably the best line from Don't Look Up. We really did have everything, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> just just the the way we just like existed in the world and spent our time on, Be- on beautifully these said but, but yeah, yeah i mean you know the, these movies used to open big they used to be big events uh and they used to bring out audiences and they used to make a ton of money worldwide this movie made less than 10 million dollars in its opening weekend i think people just aren't seeing these kinds of movies in, in theaters anymore they're not seeing event films that aren't IP driven anymore in general, in general, just not right now. Like I, I, we cannot, I don't think we can make any like far reaching predictions based on still what's happening in the pandemic era, but certainly we can, I think we can, because you know why I think we can, because Spider-Man no way home has made, has is about to overtake avatar in terms of the uh, amount of money it's making domestically. But that Um, I think that mm -hmm. I think, I, I I think David that (laughs) 
the, yep. on paper in any era mm-hmm. the moon is falling on the earth <laughs> is a dumb fucking idea <laughs> So you're saying even in a pre-pandemic world, this movie would have failed. I think 2012 was a terrible movie, awful movie, Mm -hmm. but it had a delicious premise. Mm -hmm. I think Independence Day, I know I'm going to offend some people, but I think it's an awful movie, but it had a delicious premise. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It had no- moments. Independence Day had well, moments that it we ha- remember. It, well, it, it has. It's evocative. It's an evocative idea. 2012 is an evocative idea. If you're sitting in 2009 and you're like, we have three years until all of these predictions come true, that's a pretty de- evocative notion, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There is nothing that isn't stupid about <laughs> the moon falls on the earth. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. even the moon is catapulted into the earth or the I moon explodes and there's bad things that happen. It's literally <laughs> the moon fell on the earth. Well, the, 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 there's more. There's more happening, but I'm not going to defend the premise of Moonfall. I'm just saying I think you are giving too much credit to the premise of 2012. I, I'm absolutely. Just that absolutely. I, I think we had way too much free time. Uh, we were just gallivanting around without any care in the world. You know, we just wasted our times on bad movies. And I think people now just, we can waste our time on bad movies at home is the thing. You now you can mean? do it at home. So, you, know? Yeah. you know, don't do it with the crowd. Uh, one thing I'll say about this movie um, for something that has global implications, right? The moon falling, shards of the moon falling as it starts to disintegrate as it reaches Earth. Um, we see like New York get battered. We don't get any like on the ground like how are people reacting to this? You know, right, like we, we right. see well, LA my understanding is the movie was made during COVID. So I think it was very, it's very difficult I'm to sure. show the crowds. Right. I'm sure. In, give in, me, yeah. give me CG people, you know, <laughs> drowning or something. Give me something. <laughs> I want to see. I got nothing. People the Vinger drowning. doesn't get out of bed for anything less than a hundred million people killed. Basically, <laughs> exactly. Really... I, I came to Roland Emmerich movie for global devastation. You know, not <laughs> well, just it's, some it's hard to, you know, it's hard to put the end of the, world on film when people are actively worrying about the end of the world exactly it's true it's true that is but, yeah. uh that is true yeah but you know w- w- maybe you guys are right uh and one day roland emmerich's going to be able to make disaster films that people turn out turn around mm-hmm. to theaters for i think that age is over honestly i, I, I think, think you know hey, hey spider-man hit at the perfect time Everybody was going back to movies. People love Spider-Man. Like, that was perfect timing. You know, if Spider-Man had uh, come out a, a month later or something, I don't know. I yeah, don't know if, exactly. like, I, I, I it would agree. have been the same. I, I, I also, But I also think that if uh, this was a Venom movie, same exact plot, but it starred Venom, <laughs> would have made a $100 million. Easily. Easily. So if Venom versus the moon. Yeah. Moon Nightfall. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly correct. All right. Well, anyway, um, that's uh, Moonfall. It's one of the movies Devendra watched this week. And according to Devendra, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2022, and why wouldn't it be? (laughs) Then why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. Did you hear that? 15 bucks a month. <laughs> Most people's wireless bill is 100 or more dollars a month. 
Just 15 bucks a month. And by going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. With Mint Mobile, choose the amount of monthly data that's right for you and stop paying for data that you never use. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash filmcast. That's mintmobile.com slash filmcast. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Davinci, what else have you been watching this week? I have been checking out um, the Reacher show on Amazon Prime. This is the Jack Reacher TV show. More like jacked Reacher. Am I right? I mean, that's that's what he's supposed to be, right? And you're he's giving not me a hard time be... for, about Frightmare Alley, Jeff. That, uh, <laughs> see, <laughs> when Jeff... my pun added some information. <laughs> it, <worked>. <laughs> it works. Okay. Um, yeah. This is a TV series based on the Lee Child novels. Uh, yes, also uh, Tom Cruise made, made two movies called Jack well, Reacher. What, what is striking about the new Reacher on Prime Video is that mm-hmm. this version of Reacher is what he is written to be like in the books in terms of physical he, he's appearance. He's not even, this guy's huge. Like uh, he is played by uh, Alan Richson, a guy who looks like a wrestler. He has the face of a five-year-old. I'm still like trying to like, <laughs> trying to compute those things. Tell that he to is, his face. He's so, I would not. I would not. Um, but he looks ex- incredibly jacked. But apparently, I haven't read the Reacher books, but I hear in the books he is even bigger than this man. Yeah, yeah. But this is like much closer, you know? Yeah. Um, to Because kind of, Tom Cruise, I think, is like five foot seven or something like that. Um, I, I think even less than that. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's like pretty short. And uh, the fact that he was able to pull off that role in Jack Reacher, I actually think is to his credit. At least but for this, one movie. We will not talk about the second one. Yes, yeah. yes. But this this is sort of the closer to the platonic ideal of who Reacher is supposed to look at. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> this is uh, Reacher, at least from what I hear from fans of Lee Child's work, is a force of nature, right? You yeah. see, You see a Hulk just walk into a room, right? And everybody shuts up because it's like, that is a that is a wrestler you know that is not tom cruise wearing a leather jacket that is a big man and uh that is basically his superpower but yeah he it's the same character from the from the cruise stuff so he is like kind of a a loner who just travels america by bus which is uh let me tell you the incredible hulk basically yeah he is kind of that um this season is adapting what i forget which book it is but it's a single book um set in a town in georgia where he is accused of murder uh mistakenly and he helps the police to solve it um one thing i want to point out here uh kind of rare for these uh shows that are actually trying to be uh they're actually shot in georgia to actually be set in georgia then i look this up this goddamn shows me in toronto <laughs> this entire season takes place in like some you know some like a uh, fake georgia town it's toronto it's canada um that cannot stand uh i think the show is uh is a perfectly serviceable bit of uh procedural like it is 
you read these novels, they're like airport novels, you know, they're pulpy things. Uh, you want to hear about a tough guy taking people down, being super smart. He's basically super Jack Sherlock Holmes. You know, he knows he can he can put clues together. Uh, he could beat up everybody. Uh, he has various codes. I don't know. He, he, he Weird codes. Codes of like, he walks everywhere. He takes the bus everywhere. Uh, he only wears like thrift thrift store clothes. Um, so like he, he has all these like things. He travels very light. Let's put it that way. He's not a man who wants to be weighed down by anything. He's just a man wandering America and runs into adventures. I think the show is, uh, is perfectly fine. It's not like... Um, this is not high grade television. I would say this is not even like Bosch level, uh, you know, cop procedural or something. Uh, but it is perfectly watchable B level stuff. I think Alan Richson really embodies his character really well. Uh, I was not sold on him based on the poster and some trailers I've seen. Um, I think the the like dramatics of it, the acting of it, I think he's still like getting a hold of. But the physicality of being this huge, huge guy who can just obliterate, you know, entire rooms of people. There are a lot of there's a lot of action. There are a lot of fight scenes here. The show reminds me a lot of uh, Banshee, which is a little uh, it was a Cinemax show uh, back when they were doing like um, cool, like adult action stuff that nobody really talks much about anymore. Um, so I think this is fun in that regard. If you like uh, procedurals like this, if you want like a good pulpy thriller with good action and a guy just like crushing bones and completely obliterating uh, the jerks around him, I think this show is really worth a watch. All right. Let's reach her. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. And Devinger, I think you just want to give a quick shout out to Boba Fett, yeah? A quick shout out to Boba Fett. Um, I, I w- kind of want to say something about it here with the crew, but uh, we uh, not everybody is caught up. But I say this to you all. If you were like me and were slow to catch up on the Boba Fett show, especially if you saw the first couple episodes, you're like, ah, this is fine. This is just like, hey, weird backstory for Boba Fett, eh? Um, if you have not been spoiled yet by the internet, I would mute everything Star Wars on your socials, and I would catch up on Boba Fett because there is some wild shit going down and the finale is next week. So I, I, I think I suggest you'd want to catch up for that. Do you, uh, do you, do you think the Mandalorian is a, a prerequisite? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's the book of Boba Fett. It's streaming right now on Disney Plus. I, I mean, I, I feel, but I will never watch that show. You know, it's just really? never going to happen. Yeah, it's ne- it's never going to happen. But I, I feel bad because I wish I did watch the show. You know, I wish I was into it because, uh, you know, I could talk with you guys about it. So I it's only make... like six or seven episodes right now, too. Uh, I, it, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not that I don't have time. It's I have absolutely zero interest in Star Wars anymore. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. Well, Jeff, I think uh, there are things in this that will blow your mind for better or worse. Too. Like there are things we need to talk about that happen in the show that affect the future of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gotta right. Watch it. Yeah. You got to watch it. You got to watch it and avoid. Be careful, Jeff, because you are walking yeah. on landmines now. You know what? That's my superpower. Yeah. Yep. I'm always careful. <laughs> Side glance. Yeah. That's what Devinger's been watching this week. Okay, I have a few things I want to mention. Let's talk about what I've been watching this week. Uh, okay. Have you heard of the show All of Us Are Dead? Any yes. Yeah, I think so. What What is your understanding of it, Devinger, if, just <laughs> based on the name? <laughs> uh, I assume it involves ghosts of some kind. I've heard it. I've heard something. Not even close. Around this. Okay. Not even close. Um, it is one of Netflix's top 10 shows, mm-hmm. has been the entire last week. Uh, it's usually been in the top two to three. 
It is a South Korean horror TV show uh, that is a combination. I would describe it as a cross between Battle Royale and Train to Busan. Um, so it combines the kind of school setting of a battle royale, the school kids sort of milieu and setting of a battle royale mm-hmm. with the premise and zombie horror of uh, Train to Busan. Uh, the latter film, by the way, is actually referenced multiple times in the show. <laughs> that is, um, uh, that's amazing that we can do this now in pop culture. I think yeah. you, Devendra, would love this show. I will. I'll, I'll need to check there. it out. I've seen people buzzing about it, but I thought it was like some weird uh, ghost thing or supernatural thing. But I see the no, premise. It's, I it's, see uh, it's it's a zombie horror yeah. thing in a school. And I have to admit, you know, I'm, I'm going. This is, a, uh, you know, I, I go through some shows with uh, some of my bubble mates in, in my in our little COVID bubble here, and. Um, <laughs> We Your have bubble like mates things, to watch Boba Fett. <laughs> we have these things called bubble shows. And so this this has become a bubble show. We're watching it together. And when we fired it up, we're like, I wonder how many episodes, because we watched the first episode. And the first episode's like decent, but I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep going. How many episodes are there? And I look up how many episodes. There are 12 episodes. I'm like, how are they going to sustain this for 12 episodes? That's you true. Know? Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, they've done a pretty decent job of it. And And here's the thing. You know, I, I was, I, I think, you know, I was hoping I'd be watching another Squid Game, you know, ultra violent South Korean import uh, that is maybe like has something interesting to say and is like breaks out in a big way. It, it's not as good as Squid Game, in my opinion. It's It doesn't have the cultural resonance or production design uh, and, and all the memorable set pieces of Squid Game. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be of that level in terms of cultural cachet. But I do think a lot of people are watching this. I do think they're really enjoying it. And I do think it's extremely ambitious, you know, because there's like hundreds, if not thousands of zombies, you know, at one point in the show. And this is all evident, you know, based on if you're scrolling through it, you can see basically there's like all these zombies. And it's like every episode, there's at least one interesting set piece around the zombies. And I'm like, this is like really ambitious. So at the same time that it's all those things, it's also just like a teen teen drama. Like it's like, mm-hmm. oh, did did you tell so and so I like them? You know, like <laughs> so just while, like while, while like zombies that. are yeah. eating everyone around. You know, like it yeah. that stuff. So it's like kind of cheesy, but if you can embrace that, I think you're really gonna like this show. I so, I'm gonna give it a shot, but I also don't want to move past what Jeff just said. Uh, Dave, you better have a bubble tea boba bash. <laughs> yeah, with uh, a <laughs> yeah, bunch with, of bubble. With, no, no with bubble bubbles and, for me. And too. Bubble gum and. Uh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Boba, mm-hmm. uh huh. <laughs> Jeff, you're really, really bo- cracking yourself up today. Yeah, your 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 COVID bubble, uh, uh, have a bit COVID of bubble, COVID have bubble, a bit bubble, fat. Yeah, yeah. Bubble boba party. <laughs> boba boba bash. Rubber baby buggy buggy bumpers. <laughs> Say that three times. Uh, okay, but that is all of us are dead. I I. I thought about pitching it to you guys as like a main review or even an after arc, but it's just, I, I do have to say mm-hmm. the episodes are really long. Like every one feels like it's over 60 minutes long. Man. I gotta say that it does make a difference. Like it, having a 40 to 45 minute long episode versus a 60 minute episode, like that adds up. I know it just sounds really self-evident, but you know, I blew through six episodes of Peacemaker this week and it's just like, those episodes are like thirty to thirty-five to forty-five minutes, and it feels like a breeze compared to these episodes. Like every yeah. episode feels like a an undertaking, you know, at sixty plus minutes. But I, I think it's probably too long and involved for us to do it as a main review. But 
Devendra, it is Devendra Catnip. As I just my want to wa- point out that Only Murders in the Building is a, a thirty-minute episodes. I uh, oh, I know, yeah, it's on my it's on list. list. It's on yeah. the list. Yeah, yeah, on the list. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, Jeff, I have something to pitch you about that. So let me let me get back to you about that. But anyway, uh, All of Us Are Dead is the name of the show. It's streaming right now on Netflix. It is Devendra Catnip. Devendra's gonna love this show. I'm gonna call it right now. And I think a lot of people who are into zombie horror and also like you, if you want a zombie horror combined with high school drama, high, like teen drama, teen soap opera, I think you're really gonna like All of Us Are Dead. So it's on Netflix. Pam and Tommy, new show that premiered on Hulu that purports to detail the tumultuous relationship between Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, uh, as well as the the infamous sex tape that was released onto the internet. Uh, And that that event presages a lot of our culture uh now, didn't it? It's everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this show has a lot of talent behind it. Seth Rogen uh, and what's his name? The guy from Parks and Recreation. His name just flew out of my head. Um, you guys know who I'm talking about. Uh, the guy who plays the main uh, angry guy. <laughs> um, Nick Offerman. Nick, Nick Offerman. Offerman. I, I knew yeah. it, but I wasn't going to help you at yeah. all. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Seth Rogen and Nick Offerman star in it, as well as uh, Sebastian Stan. Classic uh, main and- angry guy. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Lily James, who is unrecognizable in this movie. Apparently, they did four hours per day of prosthetics and makeup to get her to look like Pamela Anderson, and it is an incredible transformation that is made. Um, what'd you say, Jeff? It said a terrible, dumb thing. Okay. No, don't worry about it. Um, Craig Gillespie directed a lot of episodes. He did. Uh, he also uh, made I Tanya, uh, which is a movie I really oh, enjoyed. Yeah. And he's really. Uh... <laughs> Really got, carving out a niche of like the tabloid recreation <laughs> movies. You know? Well, I think that so, theoretically, like viewed in the most favorable light possible, right? That uh, shows like Pam and Tommy and Impeachment and, you know, there's all, obviously also the Britney documentaries on Netflix and on Hulu. Um, the, the, thesis, the overarching thesis of these things is like uh, the 90s, the 80s and the 90s treated women like shit. Like our culture, the media treated women like shit. We had double standards. We were extremely unfair to these women. And yeah, the eighties, the nineties, the, the preceding three centuries. Indeed, indeed. Um, and now is the time to reevaluate uh, that the the media coverage that these women received, to reckon with it, and to kind of uh, understand our place and our complicity in it. That that's those things viewed in the most favorable light possible, what I just said, or, or one of the most favorable lights possible, you know? And I, I just have to say, I think so far, uh, TBD on whether Pam and Tommy does a good job. I will say that T- Pam and Tommy is extremely watchable, you know, which makes me feel very uneasy because I have no idea where it's going. Like, where is the show going to end up landing in terms of who these people are and who are the villains and who are the heroes of this story? Uh, and so I'm like, I don't, I don't know what the show's trying to say yet. Cause only three episodes have come out and episodes will be released every Tuesday hereafter. But the show is relentlessly watchable. It's really well directed. Craig Gillespie is, is very, very talented in my opinion. Um, but I've heard a lot of uh, upsetting things about this story and, and how it's told. The big one being that the original actual scandal of the Pamela Anderson sex tape is obviously this sex tape that was released onto the internet without their consent. And that is a terror, like that is a terrible and horrifying thing, 
Meanwhile, as far as I understand, this show was made without Pamela Anderson's consent. Like she does not support the show. I, my understanding, is she doesn't want it to be out there. And like if she, she had a preference, she probably, probably the show probably wouldn't exist. So it's a show about lack of consent that was made without consent, um, which is kind of self-contradictory in some ways, oxymoronic in some ways, uh, upsetting in some ways. And also um, there was a sort of darker side to the Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee relationship that my understanding is the show does not do justice to. And so I'm kind of like very uneasy watching the show. Uh, I feel like this is not going to end in a place where I, you know, I'm happy with it. But at the same time, it is extremely watchable. Like if there's all these talented people working on it, it looks great. Um, you know, I'm just like, ooh. I wish it was a binge release so I could like kind of render a more sound verdict on it. But um yeah, first three episodes of Pam and Tommy are out right now. Uh I, I'm I'm basically, as you can probably tell, very uncomfortable with the ethics of the show, but also I'm probably gonna keep watching it. So that's where I'm landing on it. Anyway. That's Pam and Tommy. It's streaming right now on Hulu. Uh, Raised by Wolves debuted season two. I'm shocked that you came back to this. Yeah, yeah. After last season. Have you guys seen season one? I I saw a couple episodes. Mostly because you told me it was not worth finishing. That's what my main takeaway from season one. Well, speaking of bubble shows, right? Like... um, Raised by Wolf season one was a bubble show because as my wife says, when it comes to the character of mother, it's so important to see yourself represented on screen. Um, and that's, that's who she sees herself as. <laughs> AKA a, a uh, well, I, I won't even give it away, but let's just say mother is very um, potent. Now I'm uh, um, worried, worried for so, you, Dave. Are you okay over there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we watched Raised by Wolf season one together, and and I will say, despite all the the flaws of, of Raised by Wolf season one, uh, the actor the, the performances are incredible. You know, like um, Amanda Collin, who plays Mother, is just amazing. This is like a career defining role for her. Um, but Raised by Wolves is a show that began spectacularly. So good, and, first episode, and, one oh of my the God, best, incredible, incredible. And I was like, oh my God, like. The concepts is introducing so fascinating. The performances, the world building, it's all amazing. Completely shits the bed by the last episode. It is just is all over the place. And I am sad to say that uh, season two of the show. Um, I, I mean, this show is like a full blown disaster at this point. It, 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 the the season two basically is a complete reboot of the entire show. Uh, rather clunkily reboots the entire kind of premise of the show, and the the one the one good thing I'll say about the show is you have no idea where it's going. You ju- you just cannot predict at but any not given in a good point way. where the show is going. Right? Maybe, maybe you know, but you know, a lot of TV can get pretty predictable. So maybe that's to its credit. But uh, I we watched the first two episodes, which are available on HBO Max. I think there's only going to be like six to eight episodes in season two. And this was a bubble show through season one. And I think it is no longer a bubble show. I think we're, we are done with the show, unfortunately. Um, see, season two, episodes one and two were pretty, pretty rough. Uh, and I, I'm bummed out because there's so much, this is one of those shows. There's so much promise. And I just feel like I have no idea what is happening at this point. I have no idea what's going on. So that's raised by wolf season two. It's available right now on HBO Max. Maybe you'll have a better time with it. 
And finally, I just want to bring up uh, Peacemaker. I uh, marathoned all six episodes of Peacemaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I did a, a poll on my personal Patreon. I was like, "What? What do you what, like? What do folks? What? What? What are folks watching? What's on folks' mind? Uh, minds?" And uh, a bunch of people said Peacemaker. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. D- disregarding gonna... the praise we've thrown on things here, but now I know how Dave, uh, how Jeff feels. So yeah. 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 Well, let me just put this out there, guys. Uh huh. I, I, I'm not. I'm. You know. First of all, yes. Uh, fair. Secondly, <laughs> I just want to say. Uh, I, I'm honestly overwhelmed by how much stuff there is to watch. Like there's, there's, oh, legitimate, yeah. there's way like, too much. I'm legitimately over. Like I legitimately yeah. is hard to make the decision of what to watch. And it, it is, it is right truly there, yeah. difficult these days. Um, thankfully I have a group of friends who typically <laughs> help me weed out the garbage from the good stuff. And Jeff, yeah. I'm not joking. Uh, only murders in the building is something I'm going to watch. Same, uh, yeah, same yeah. guys. Same. It is on the list. It is on the list. Okay. It is really, I am planning to get to it, but anyway, Yes, uh, Peacemaker. You guys talked about it. You guys recommended it. I took that to heart. I also took my personal patrons to heart. Mm-hmm. When yeah, they recommended yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. And then well, what else more, was on this more, poll? Yeah. Much more recently and more intensely, I took my patrons <laughs> to heart. <laughs> and I gotta say, I love this show. You know, I Davindra. I think you said this is the favorite thing James Gunn's ever done. I think I, I said it was better than Suicide Squad, but I think I think it may be my favorite overall thing. This yeah. might be my favorite thing that James Gunn has ever done because. It feels like the perfect blend of James Gunn's actual to his core sensibilities and something that is accessible and broadly appealing. Like if he was making a superhero film that was accessible and broadly appealing, but also staying true to himself, I feel like this is what it would be more so than, uh, than guardians of the galaxy, which I think is really family friendly and more so than even the suicide squad, because He's got real time to develop these characters yeah, the way that he yeah. doesn't with that with a film format, right? And so, what I love about this this show is the interpersonal dynamics are hilarious. The cast has great chemistry with each other, and it has a lot of, a lot of that good old ultra violence in there uh, thrown in for good measure. So, I'm really enjoying Peacemaker. The first six episodes of which are available online on HBO Max. It's and, so fun. And, yeah, and there's really nothing else quite like it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really unique, and and the perfect vehicle for John Cena. I agree. He's mm-hmm. really great in it. He's really great in it. So I got to recommend Peacemaker again, uh, streaming right now on HBO Max, uh, and the finale will debut in the next couple weeks. So those are the things that I have been watching. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Masterclass. I've been excited to have Masterclass back as a sponsor because I've been wanting to tell you about this experience that I had. Okay. I have watched a lot of Masterclass classes, but one of my favorites was the Pen and Teller Masterclass, which teaches some sleight of hand, some magic tricks. And recently, I did a little trick. It's a little little cup and balls, nothing very fancy at all, but I learned it on Masterclass. I did this little magic trick for my son, Jack, who's five years old, and it blew his mind. I have never seen his eyes so wide. He was looking at me like I'm supernatural. He, his eyes were, he was completely flabbergasted that I did this magic trick. And it's all because I watched masterclass and that's just one of the cool things. I've also been making omelets that I learned on masterclass. Masterclass is incredible. You learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn how to cook 
from incredible chefs, famous people. You learn filmmaking techniques from Martin Scorsese, from Jim Cameron, you name it. You can learn acting from Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, it is the level of talent there is incredible. You can improve your skills in something. You can learn how to public speak or learn business skills. It's unbelievable. Comedy from Steve Martin. The list goes on and on and on with over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors. That thing that you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I'm telling you, this is a treasure trove of incredible information. I know you're listening to this podcast, so you love movies and TV shows. You love the art of filmmaking. There are tons of incredible filmmakers, actors, directors. It's a who's who of incredible people. Malcolm Gladwell, David Sedaris, Alicia Keys, Bob Iger, Neil Gaiman, Ron Howard. I mean, David Lynch is on there. Natalie Portman. It's I, I, I mean, Aaron Sorkin, I watched the entire Aaron Sorkin. I, I'm going to keep going and going and going because it blows your mind. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Filmcast listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash Filmcast pod now. That's masterclass.com slash Filmcast pod for 15% off Masterclass. Jefferson Canaderson. Well, loyal listeners of this here podcast will recall that last week I came to you uh, having seen, I believe, five uh, episodes of The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. And I had some strong opinions about those five episodes, but... <laughs> I came, I came away or I left you guys uh, with the notion that there might be a possibility that this show ending could be uh, something that would really turn it around mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, and leave me very glad that I watched it. This is a show that is ostensibly a, a send-up of those kinds of... Uh, thriller uh tv shows and, and mostly books really those pulpy uh you know the woman across the street the woman with the dragon tattoo the woman with the, the it, all those um you know sort of uh, murder mystery thriller uh page turner kind of books and it it, it has a very odd tone as i outlined last week uh and uh, you know i said i i couldn't quite wrap my head around this show, but I was going to keep watching it and report back. And fellas, I'm here to tell you, this could not have worked out better as far as splitting up <laughs> the <laughs> review between two weeks because in my wildest dreams... I could not have anticipated what the end of this show does. I could not believe what I was watching. <laughs> truly, 
truly could could not believe what I was watching. There is, I guess, I I guess I have to call it a twist that happens at the end of this series, in the last episode of this series. Yeah, that. You know, when I when I said to you guys, well, maybe, the, you know, maybe whatever, wherever this thing goes, it'll be worth watching. I could not have in my wildest dreams seen this coming. I've heard this. It, have you so heard does what it make it is? worth it, Jeff? I don't even, I, I, I can't, not I, what it to is. this moment, I don't understand if it's good or bad. I don't either, Dave. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. It Jeff, my question for you: Can wild. I just watch the first episode? Yes, and then and the, the last, last episode. and the last episode. Can I no, do that, you Jeff? will not make heads or tails of. I mean, you're not going to make heads or tails yeah, of it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but you're not going to make heads or tails of it unless you go through the whole thing. Now, it's a short show. It's not super yeah. long. But you have to suffer. I can't recommend it. <laughs> but also. It's an experience, you guys. And they, like, I have never seen a show just go for it at the end. I mean, we just came out of a search party. So I don't yeah, know. No, I don't know yeah. anymore. But okay. Right. Yeah. No, it's not that, and not in that way. It, it is, it finds its own level of bonkers that I just, I don't know. And it and it sets up for a season two. It sets up for a season two, and I'm like, "You, is this show gonna come back? I can't. If it comes back, you guys, I'm gonna watch it. I don't know if that's a good decision. I so I I like I've never had a show completely make me speechless like this before." In a, in a way where I, I just, I genuinely don't know what to say or think about it. It is so bonkers. So bonkers. I mean, I explained to you that one plot point from early on last week. And, you know, that is not an outlier. It is not an outlier. It is a, it is mm -hmm. a show that just gives no fucks. <laughs> it just gives no fucks. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's something else, man. It's something else. Well, it made you feel something in this it time. Did. And th that's rare. These days. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I was laughing my ass off, which I think was the goal, but I was laughing my ass off in a, like, I can't believe this is happening kind of way. It's, it's something else. So. All right. Okay. Okay. That's the woman well, that's... in the house across the street from the girl in the window. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Speaking of murder mysteries, yeah, <laughs> if that's what that was, uh, we also had a chance to watch Murderville this week, Jeff. Right? I watched Murderville. Um, yeah, I, I texted you guys when I heard about the premise of this show because I think the premise is utterly brilliant. I think mm -hmm. it's a genius premise, and um, I'm told it's a a, a, a remake of a. British show mm -hmm. that did the yes. same thing with a yep. slightly different title. Um, but the concept here is that Will Arnett plays Murder in, Murder in Successful is the name of that. Murder in uh, Successful. This is just Murder. I actually think Murderville is a better title. I got to put that out there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, 
Will Arnett plays a grizzled uh, cop. Uh, and what's his name? Something, some, something Seattle. Terry Seattle. Terry, Terry Seattle. Seattle. I always forget the first name. Terry Seattle. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's very much a uh, a goofball take on the the grizzled cop who has to solve a mystery. But the hook is every week he gets a new partner, and that partner is a celebrity, a real life celebrity who has no idea what the script is for the show. There's an actual script. There is an actual, uh, you know, murder mystery plot. And everybody involved in the show knows who done it and is setting up the clues and setting up the, the situations that would lead someone to figure out who done it. But the celebrity guest has no access to the script and has to improvise with Will Arnett their way through this murder mystery plot. And then at the end of it has to try to put together the clues and figure out who did it, which I think is genius. It's just, it's just a brilliant. And, it, and I'm here to say, I don't know how you feel about it, Dave, but I think it totally lives up to that brilliant premise. I was giggling. I've seen three of the episodes now, uh, Conan O'Brien, Marshawn Lynch and Kumail Nanjiani. And I got to say much to my shock, the best of them, I think, is Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. I've heard that. Wild. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's genuinely clever and funny in it. Uh, really great timing. I was shocked. I mean, I have friends who uh, have met and hung out with Marshawn Lynch over long periods of time. And uh, they, they talk about how his interactions with them are terse at best and dismissive <laughs> at worst. <laughs> uh but uh, in this, he is gregarious and funny and engaged and involved in the story. I just, uh, he came off great. And I, Conan O'Brien is hilarious. Kumail, honestly, I'm a huge fan of Kumail. I, I met him and have hung out with him personally. Um, and I, I just think he's amazing. I think he's brilliant and so funny. Uh, I just thought that he was a little flat uh, of all the, of, of the three. Uh, but, um, but just a, overall, even... Even that episode, very entertaining. I found this very entertaining. It's light, breezy watching. It's more, um, you know, more game show than it is uh, a television show, really. It's, it, I mean, they set up situations like you would in a uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway, where, you know, they'll, like, force them to eat something weird while they're trying to do something. Or, you know, there's, like, bits. There's little games that they, that they force them to do. But it's all in good fun, and and you watching them squirm is half the entertainment of of the show. Is you know this person has no idea what's coming next, being put through the ringer by a bunch of uh, comic actors, and invariably in each episode, you know people are breaking and giggling and and laughing at at what's going on. And I, you know, that's it's very fun to watch. I, Dave, did you uh, enjoy it as much as I did? I thought I didn't I didn't enjoy it as much as you did, uh, but I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. I thought it was pleasant. Um, here's here's the uh, David Chen's bubble review of this uh, series, Murderville, on Netflix. Is we watched two episodes, and then uh, my wife turns around, and looks at me, and she's like, "I think I'm good." <laughs> like, oh, dude! I'm not, I'm I want to see more murder androids instead. Yeah, my <laughs> wife was out after the first episode. She's like, "I have no interest in watching this anymore." Oh, okay. Uh, so, so maybe yeah. it's not a wife show. I don't know. Th this is but, like uh, hanging out well, with your improv friends. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. That's exactly what it's like. I, I think. I, well, first of all, you know, Jeff, I, I feel like in an alternate universe, 
this show could have been hosted by Jeff Kanata. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I wish I would have loved ju- that. Like, I'm not. Ju- I say that in a in a in a way that is meant to be complimentary. You know, like wow. I think this kind of like leans into your wheelhouse of like improv and the the kind of irreverent humor and you know pop culture yeah. knowledge and stuff like that. So what you're saying is, um, if I wasn't such a massive failure. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just saying I think this is right up your alley. That's all I'm saying. Um, oh, it is very much. And, very much and so, uh, and, and honestly, I'm not even joking. I actually think you would have done a better job than Will Arnett. I'm going to just put oh, that. Oh, okay? that's, that's very kind of you. Um, I think Will Arnett's very funny in it. Honestly. He's very good. He's very good, but like, I don't know that improv is his strength. You know, like mm-hmm, I don't think mm-hmm. that like yeah. the best of Will Arnett is Will Arnett improving things. Yeah. You know what the I mean? Same with Camille. Um, you know, like that's not what they were really trained for either so yeah know. well yeah well, camille's a, a, a real stand-up yeah yes mm-hmm. yeah but um this show is heavily edited yes heavily yeah. edited so my favorite part of the show is that the mystery is actually solvable by the audience right yeah and and, and, and cl- the clues are clever right yeah and, and it's in in a way that feels very fair like we've all seen mysteries okay where you get to the end they reveal it and it's like okay okay maybe i could have figured that out if i like but not the case in this show like yeah. in this show you're like okay they presented the clues it's you if you just pay even a modicum of attention to what's happening you should be able to figure out who the killer is but I, but um, it's also not it's not super obvious right it's not yeah. super obvious it, it, it does take some paying it attention some, it takes some it takes some work is what i yeah. describe it takes like, some work the, for example yeah. in i don't remember which episode it is but in one episode the killer is like the coroner or whoever the you know official police person in the show uh, identifies the killer as having been left-handed yes. right and so the three main suspects you can determine which hand is their dominant hand, but in very oblique ways. Right. It's not like you see them all write something down. Exactly. You know? And I think yeah. that's clear. And in each yeah, one, I agree. I agree. it's different for each of the three characters, right? It's not right. like each of them shows which hand they use predominantly in the same way. It's each of them has a different manner that, so it really does feel like, oh, you know, you do have to be a little Sherlock Holmesy and and pay attention to the tiny details yeah. to pick things up. And, and I think that's, that's really clever, I think. Yeah, it's it's cool. And I think the way the sort of setups are executed is actually very clever as well. Because yeah. it's like, you need to take these characters along this story, but you also don't know what the actors are going to say, right? right. And, and so you need to give them opportunity to like improv and be funny, but you also need to hit specific beats. It's actually very like Borat-like, you know, in the, right. uh, the movie where like, they wanted to make these events happen, but they don't know exactly what's going to happen at each location. Um, and you're, it's you're you're living life on the edge when you're making a movie or TV show like that. And I appreciate that they gave they gave it a risk. You know, um, I didn't quite love it as much as you. I think you know uh, the the guest stars are really hit or miss. You know, and I think that um, it, in in the end, a, a friend of mine said this like it kind of does feel in some ways like it's a show that was a lot more fun to make than it is to watch, you know, like yeah. it's like everyone who's making it is having a blast and I'm not having a bad time, but it's just <laughs> not quite, you know, a thing that I'm loving as much. You as also described are, you know? watching an improv show. So <laughs> <laughs> as somebody who's performed many, 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 yeah, of I'm them, sure you have a blast all the time. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah um, the, uh, I wish it wasn't so, so vicious, uh, Devendra. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Josh. It's true. I wish it was. It's true. <laughs> In his defense, Devendra never saw me in prize, so you know. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, you're not wrong. Uh, the the only the, the biggest criticism I would say is that I wish it wasn't so gamey. 
Like they, mm-hmm. they set up games. Like there's a bit, it seems to me in each episode, certainly in each of the first three that I've saw, seen, but there's always a bit where they have uh, Will Arnett in their earpiece and they're mm-hmm. sent in alone to a place uh, and he, they're supposed to just repeat what he tells them in his ear and which is like totally lifted from uh, what's those, uh, what's that horrible show on uh... well Nathan for you did a segment on it. No, I, there's I a, like these guys that do like that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very popular. And now the name just flew out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Nick Offerman. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Um, <laughs> the anyway, they um, it's just it's just a tired kind of bit. It's just I don't mm-hmm. think it's a it's particularly effective for right. Like, yeah. and, and it, I think the fun is supposed to be the you know the players uh, messing with the the celebrity guest but i think it didn't need that layer like you don't have to you don't have to force conan to eat yucky food it's it's already fun enough to see him have to improvise and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. figure out the mystery right that's it's already like a fun hat enough. on a hat it's, it's like a hat, hat on a hat, hat. Yeah. yeah 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 well jeff i think we spent Way more time talking about this than need be. I think <laughs> it's a good show. I think it's fun. It's a, it's a great concept. Like when I heard this concept, I was like, if only they could get like the greats from whose line is it anyway? Right. Yeah. You know, like that. That is the thing that I always loved watching. And those guys can yeah, make even that I do crappy love that topic. They need, uh, you know, enjoyable. Yeah. They need like, like a Ben Schwartz show. to be on the show. You know, yeah, they need. Yeah. You need like well, a. On like, that note, Jeff, uh, let me ask you this: After Party or Murderville? Well, it's and just know and that whatever you answer is going to dictate the future of our friendship. FYI. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's apples and oranges. I mean, After Party <laughs> is an actual show, and Mur- Murderville is like this kind of goofy game show thing. It's not, you know, it's there's no actual through line to to Murderville. It's just a kind of That's goofy true. fun time. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, my ultimatum has failed. But <laughs> anyway, but I will take is... I will take only murders in the building over After Party. No. Okay, the gauntlet has been thrown. The gauntlet has been thrown. All right. Uh, well, that's Murderville, and it's streaming right now on Netflix. Let's get to weekly plugs, folks. Welcome to Weekly Plugs, the part of the show where we plug something else that we're making that's not the film cast. Um, I want to plug uh, these Twitter spaces that I'm doing every Sunday morning with Scott Mendelson at around 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. Um, every Sunday, Scott Mendelson and I get together on the old Twitter spaces, and we run down the top five movies of the box office that week. And uh, I've been doing this for like six months now, and it's actually really fun. And I learn a lot uh, from Scott because he has an encyclopedic knowledge of box office history. Uh, and I feel like I get a real pulse of like what the film going audience, the theatrical film going industry is uh, like in uh, in America these days. So check that out. Um, it's a weekly Twitter space. Just follow me on Twitter at, at Dave Chensky, Dave Chen S K Y, um, and I also post the uh, audio of that as a podcast to my personal Patreon page. Uh, and it's on Sunday mornings. Devinder Hardwar, uh, give us a weekly plug. Oh, I just want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about the crazy Sony buying Bungie deal, which I guess after Microsoft Activision doesn't seem that big. It's $3.6 billion, not yeah, 69. They probably, uh, probably really wish they'd timed that uh, differently. You know, they probably <laughs> wish they'd announced that like two weeks earlier, maybe. Probably. I don't know. Um, but I have a sense that they probably like, you, 
made this announcement earlier or something. But anyway, there's a lot going on there. So we brought on Jessica Condit, who writes about gaming for us in Gadget, to talk about this. It's a really good episode and a good conversation about like you know where the future of gaming is going. I'm sure you're interested in this, Jeff. It yeah, is, yeah, it's a crazy time. Wild. It time. is. I think it's uh, the year is still young as far as acquisitions. Oh yeah, there are going to be more and more and more, and who knows what all this consolidation will lead to. Yeah. All right, Jeff Kanata, hit us with a weekly plug. Well, this is more of a public service announcement because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Right around the corner. And if you're like me, you probably have been putting off thinking about what to do for your beloved. I'm here to tell you, there is a saving grace. There is something you can do that will delight, entertain, and woo your significant other. And that is a bespoke, handcrafted, lovingly delivered limerick. That's right. Right now at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, you can order your favorite person a limerick. And I'm telling you, it's TikTok, TikTok. It's not on TikTok, but TikTok, TikTok for how much time we have left before uh, Valentine's Day. I, I These don't... These don't happen overnight. It takes me a couple of days to write your limerick. So get your orders in now for the big holiday. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Check out some of my five-star reviews. I got a whole bunch of them. People love them. And uh, delight your beloved with a limerick. All right. A couple of other weekly plugs I want to make. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast is the way to do that. If you want to recommend something for us to watch, use hashtag slash tag. Uh, we do check up on that and do take your recommendations. Uh, and I also want to mention that if you don't have any money to support us, but you really like the show anyway, very easy to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating or a review for us. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Or, or on whatever podcast platform you happen to be using there's an opportunity to leave a star rating. That would be great. Um, so those are weekly plugs for us and for the show this week. Hey, I got to tell you about our sponsor, Missouri. Missouri makes fine jewelry for every day. Fairly priced, handcrafted, responsibly sourced, and made to last jewelry. Jewelry Minus the traditional markups. Everything from 14 karat solid gold staples, light as air hoops, to barely their chains, so you can layer to your heart's content. Plus, they have sterling silver, pearls, diamonds, even wedding bands designed for everyone. And I got news for you folks. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And when you say no gifts, no gifts never means no gifts. Pick up what she's been putting down and shop your heart out with Missouri's curated Valentine's Day guides. There's something for everyone, including you, lovers, family, friends, and the date you accidentally planned for February 14th. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying it with flowers, try monogramming it. Make it personal when you get a free engraving or monogramming on everything from necklaces, signet rings, and leather goods. They've made shopping for the perfect gift easier than ever. You choose the gift, and they'll take care of the rest with 60-day returns, a two-year warranty, and gift wrapping included. And if you're stumped for ideas, find your match when you book a complimentary shopping appointment 
to video chat with a Missouri stylist and get expert gifting advice. Nothing says I love you like well-timed, timeless, fine jewelry. Visit Missouri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. That's Missouri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, let's get to our review of Nightmare Alley. I will ask you simple questions. You will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth. Absolute truth. I can do that. Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carlisle? Doctor, how about that? Please lie down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. That was from the trailer for Nightmare Alley, the newest film by director Guillermo del Toro. Uh, It is a remake of the 1947 film, as well as based off of the 1946 novel written by William Lindsay Gresham. The plot summary of the movie from IMDb is as follows. An ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who's even more dangerous than he is. This is the Filmcast Podcast, and joining us this evening for our review of Nightmare Alley. He is an editor and chief film critic at SlashFilm.com. Chris Evangelista, welcome to the Filmcast. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you for having me here. It's great to have you, Chris. Uh, I've enjoyed reading your uh, reviews over at SlashFilm.com for for quite a while. And uh, great to have you on to talk about this movie, Nightmare Alley. So, Chris, you wrote a review for Nightmare Alley over at SlashFilm.com. Uh, let, let's just get into it. What did you think overall of this movie? Uh, I am I am a, a fan of Nightmare Alley. Uh, I had seen the original, of course, and uh, so I, I kind of knew what I was getting into going into it. And I'm a fan of Del Toro's work in general, and I'm a fan of uh, almost everyone in this cast. So I, you know, I was I was uh, appropriately hyped going into this. And uh, I, I enjoyed what I saw. Um, you know, there's something to be said about the fact that uh, you know, the 1947 film is considerably shorter, and this clocks in at two hours and thirty minutes. Uh, and I'm sure somewhere, someone somewhere can argue that it did not need to be that long. Uh, I I was not too uh, perturbed by the length. It, it it never overstayed its welcome for me. Um, and just uh, you know. Th- the mood and the the atmosphere. I mean, when you go into a Del Toro movie, you know, you're getting at this point, uh, lush production design and, uh, everything's going to be very ornate and, um, and, and just visually, uh, appealing and, and gorgeous. And, you know, even the most, uh, depraved, demented stuff will somehow look gorgeous in his hands. Cause he just, that's what he gravitates towards. And, uh, uh it's interesting because, you know, the original film, they had to, they had to, uh, succumb to without going into spoilers, they had to succumb to the you know the Hayes Code to make it a little more uh, family friendly, I guess. You know, to, uh-huh. to audiences. Uh-huh. Back. Yeah, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, Del Torre obviously didn't have to worry about that, but I actually found the original slightly darker, not, uh, not, not the way it ends, but how it, how it plays out specifically in related to the main character, the, the, the Stan character played here by, uh, Bradley Cooper and Tyrone Power plays him in the original. And uh, what I found interesting is uh, in the original film, the Tyrone Power, Power character, the Stan character just seems like just a a slime ball from like the first frame. And I don't know, mm-hmm. it's just the way of the way he, you know, he carries himself or the way, you know, the way he talks. I just like, you just get the, you know, that vibe, like, oh, this guy's bad news. And Bradley Cooper does it a lot differently. He does this thing where, he plays the Stan character, um, especially for the first half of this movie, is very closed off. I actually I rewatched it last night and I timed it, and he actually doesn't say a single line until nearly twelve minutes into the movie. Just it's kind of amazing, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually, just, had, I had a thought, uh, not knowing what was coming, that oh my gosh, is this going to be a movie uh, that plays like a video game where the main character only is only talked at and the uh, everyone else yeah. just goes, well, I assume I know what you're going to say and I'll just yeah. uh, answer let, as if you spoke. Let me give you the whole backstory of this village here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I think uh, th- that's really interesting that his character is much more inaccessible to the audience uh, during at least the first part of this movie. And it does make it seem like he's on more of a journey, I think, than... Uh, than the previous version of what you're alluding to, right? Like that character, you kind of get his number right away. This character, you're like, anything's possible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird. And that, because that in a way made me kind of, sort of kind of, even though, you know, I knew where the story was going, I kind of felt a little more sympathy towards the character in this mm. version than I do in the original, where I'm just like, this guy, you know, this guy stinks. I don't, you know, and with, with, you know, cause Bradley Cooper makes it so, it's so, I know, like, like, you know, quiet and understated. Although as the film progresses, he gets, you know, sleazier. And the more he talks, the sleazier he gets basically. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, but it sounds like overall, uh, you were a fan from what I understand, right? Yeah. I, 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 I love this. I loved, uh, Kate Blanchett in particular. I know mm. uh, that's, that's in the second half of the movie. So we'll get to that later, I guess. But, Kate Blanchett just shows up and she's just constantly in, in the shadows and she's constantly smoking cigarettes. And it's just like, ah, oh, this is great. Just <laughs> every time she shows up and she's in her office with the, the biggest picture window you'll ever see. And it's always snowing through that window. And just, uh, you know, I, I know these are all aesthetic things. These are all, you know, they're not like the plot itself, but they, they carry the film. They, they, they build this really lovely little atmosphere that's like this blend of carnival sideshow freak show stuff with film noir and it's done in this just uh just gorgeous way that that sort of lulls you into uh lowering your guard a little bit and then the film just gets progressively darker and nastier and more violent and i just love the way it sort of just disarms you like that where you're just like you you sort of think you know where this is going and then it just starts getting on a whole different uh, level than you might've been predicting. I agree. I think Kate Blanchett was uh, radiant in this film, but yeah. Uh, well, thanks for your overall thoughts, Chris. Devendra, let's go to you. what do you think overall of uh, Nightmare Alley? Yeah. Rewatching it for this review. I saw it uh, back in theaters too. I think it was probably the last film I saw in theaters, like before we kind of locked back down again a little. Um, mm-hmm. I love this film. 
even more now. Just like every scene, every shot feels so painterly and beautiful. And it really taps into like Del Toro's ability to just tell us things, you know, with visuals, which is also why I, I, I noticed the first time I saw it, like uh, Bradley Cooper's character, not talking much for the beginning of the movie, but it seems even more impactful on the rewatch because it's like, this movie is just painting a a story for you. You know, you see a guy uh, dragging a body, you see a house on fire. That shot looks like almost like it's setting fire to the idea of uh, the American heartland or something, right? Like some idea of American tranquility is on fire here. There's just such beautiful imagery in this movie. And I love everybody in it. Like I, I really love these characters. And I think the, uh, the first half is what I'll mainly talk about here. Um, the car- the vibe of the carnival, the family of the carnival, and how they all support each other and love each other in certain ways. And th- even though it's a place where uh, grotesque things can happen, you know, and uh, they are abusing somebody like the geek, um, they're all part of that. But I found that overall uh, atmosphere really beautiful. And the film itself is just a really fascinating exploration of of like i don't know somebody whose desire is completely unchecked uh how we use each other and the way we manipulate each other i think is really really fascinating here um i think the tragedy of the film hit me a lot more the second time because first of all i knew like uh, yeah wherever things were going um but there are a lot of breadcrumbs for like where things end up and uh i think that makes it all the more impactful I think this is one of Bradley Cooper's best performances ever um, because it also really leans into the sort of like um, he, he's a good looking guy, you know, <laughs> like he's he's a beautiful man. So he, him just being, stra- you know, kind of stranded and kind of wandering, everybody just wants to help him. Uh, and they literally call out, you know, you're just you're very pretty. You're going to, you know, we're going to take care of you. Uh, there's a great scene with Tony Collette that I think is pretty, uh, pretty fascinating. Um but seeing like that character grow from somebody who's uh, I think Bradley Cooper is maybe a little too old for the character he's supposed to be portraying because everybody's calling him a uh, young man in a way where he's, he's not so much a young man anymore, but the vibe of somebody who is trying to make his way in the world and trying to find himself in that discovery of finding something you're good at and maybe letting things go a little too far. I, I think that is all just like very, very impactful and very resonant. Love everybody in this film. Uh, I do wonder, watching it again, if um, Rooney Mara may be a bit of a weak link here. But maybe I'm just like, maybe she is playing the character differently than I would expect her to. Um, yeah, yeah. I would That's say the character was a little bit underwritten. You know, yeah. like I think yeah. the I think the performance is great, but I think it's a little bit underwritten in my. I just I would have liked more from that character, maybe yeah. more from her. But I I love She's, everybody here. Mm-hmm. She seems like she should be much younger than. Yes. Rudy. Not that not that Rudy Mara is mm-hmm. you know ancient or anything like that, but she like to me that character comes across as someone who should be like. Mm-hmm. A teenager, which would also like go a long way to making the stand <laughs> or character a twenty-something, like, you yeah, know. And I feel like, like Bradley Cooper is playing a character who should be like a thirty-something who's never quite like you know found his uh, way in life. And be- because yeah. this would make it easier to understand some of the decisions that they make in this movie, I think is yes. what you're saying, right, Chris? Yeah, 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 yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. but uh, there, there's hey, I love uh, everybody who pops up in this movie, including people uh, we we don't really talk about that much in terms of like. Uh, you know, character actor. So I love everything about this movie. Um, I think even more so, more so than Crimson Peak. I think Lady of the um, 
Lady in the Water, not Lady in the Water, uh, Shape, Shape of Water. Shape of Water, Shape Shape of water. water is <laughs> beautiful film, but it's also not something I've like thought much about other than the imagery. Whereas this one is like, I like shots from this movie, sequences from this movie are just kind of like burned into me already. It's a movie I cannot wait to revisit again and again. So to me, that is a, it's a good sign. I'm glad to see Del Toro like still able to do these sorts of like just really, really interesting films. All right. Well, those are Davindra's overall thoughts on uh, Nightmare Alley. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Nightmare Alley. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Nightmare Alley are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh, you know, this is Chris Evangelista's first time on the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if he's familiar with this ritual that you do. Oh, my goodness. I have to apologize. Uh, not not for me, but for Dave, because... Oh, for uh, me, on my behalf, is what you're saying. Yeah, yes. Uh, Dave is uh, what we like to call colloquially as a monster. Mm. <laughs> he, uh-huh. our, our very own mentalist, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> right. He, uh, he has a set of demands and will not do this show. Uh, unless there is a limerick in every episode. And unfortunately, it falls to me. It's a, I mean, it's a tired, uh, it is a uh, unwelcome aspect of the show. No one in the audience wants it. I don't want it. But Dave refuses to continue the show unless I provide him the morsel of limerick that he so desperately desires. So, wow, okay. I apologize, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> the story I mean, gets is, better every time you tell it. Um, it's quite a buildup, so yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a tough act yeah. to follow. Yep, here we go. Here's, here here's go. the limerick uh, yep. review. Of all of, Del- excuse me. <laughs> of all of Del Toro's, this alone, more than Blade or Devil's Backbone, is my favorite one. It's so much fun, it's like a really long Twilight Zone. Ooh. Nicely nice. done. I, I appreciate nice. the rhyme of zone and devil's backbone. Really nicely done, Jeff. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna just gonna concur with uh, everything that's been said up to this point. I I believe this movie would have been in my top ten of 2021 had I mm-hmm. seen it in 2021. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yep. It's yep. uh, it's phenomenal. I've always admired uh, Guillermo del Toro's visual eye and his sort of. Um, interesting take his his creature designs his his uh his casting i like his little stable of players that seem to show up movie after movie uh but all too frequently i haven't really loved his movies this one i absolutely love uh i am one of those people that is just so obsessed with this milieu this this sort of carny uh, grifter, uh, you know, sort of the Ricky J, uh, learned pigs and fireproof women era. Uh, you know, I, I just love that mythos. You know, that I don't even know if it ever really existed. You know, the, the, the world that's here, or if it's always been sort of a stylized, uh, uh, you know, um, exaggeration of 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 history, but. I, I I love it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I'm into the that uh, con man sort of uh, get the mark and uh, play the mark, and how are you going to you know convince people that you know to do things or to believe things? Ah, all that stuff, and the the visual sense of the of the carnival here that it's sort of faded, weathered, uh, 
you know, uh, people at the at the end of their rope. People, you know, yes, it's a family, like Devendra said, but it is a a family of misfits, a family of people who've been through the ringer, you know. And all of that is so beautifully represented in 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 little details in the way the camera picks out things in the the set decor and the mise-en-scene it's it's there's so much detail there's so much to sort of get lost in the frame and the the film is just sumptuously direction directed you know it's it's a beautiful looking movie every frame is 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 gorgeous and then the story is it really enwrapped me i mean i was i'm on record saying that this this trend that we've seen of two and a half hours as the new 90 minutes not great not great uh doesn't have to every movie doesn't have to be two and a half hours ladies and gentlemen this one i didn't want to end i just wanted to stay mm. in this world and hang out with these people and it's awesome that del toro is in this place now where he can cast his movies with incredible stars i mean even tiny little bit parts it's like oh uh, David Strathairn is is gonna be in this movie for like four minutes. Okay, awesome. You know, uh, uh, it's it's just incredible that like literally every part is a phenomenal actor. Uh, Mary Steenburgen shows up for uh-huh. a minute and a half. That's just incredible. You know, it's like that's the kind of uh, filmmaker that he's he's evolved into at this point. And you know, any movie that has Richard Jenkins in it is a movie I will see. I'm in love with Mitchell Jenkins. I think that guy is one of the great actors of our generation. Um, and and all of them are putting in great work. Tony Collette. I mean, we mentioned Kate Blanchett. Willem Dafoe is in this movie. It's it, it goes on and on and on. I think Bradley Cooper is fantastic in it. I'm I'm with him in this journey. Um, it's it it's it's hard to find a flaw here. Mm-hmm. I really 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 loved Nightmare Alley. That's that's so awesome, Jeff. I am a huge fan as well. This is going to be a boring podcast. We all love this one. Uh, I'll say a couple things, uh, and then I'd love to dive into spoilers with you, gents, uh, about this movie. I think everything I say is true. Like the casting is awesome. Everyone's firing on all cylinders. Kate Blanchett's probably my favorite one of the cast, just in terms of like uh, th- this is her at the height of her powers, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Also, you could view this as a kind of unofficial sequel to Carol. Just going to put that out there. Mm-hmm. But kind of, um, yeah. yeah, you know, very very similar themes to that movie. Not really, but anyway. Um, I uh, what I like about this movie. Uh, there's two things I want to point out, and then we get spoiled. One is uh, I liked the script in terms of uh, basically it's very intricate, right? Like mm-hmm. it's there's so much setup and payoff in terms of the script, right? And the way that the setups and payoffs occur are very organic. Um, there's things that, you know, are introduced in the first half of the film that they're explaining the backstory for a certain concept, certain elements of the movie, and they seem like offhanded. They seem, again, very organic to the world. Then later on, you understand why the movie chose to tell the story in that way. And that's just extremely satisfying to watch a movie that like sets these things up, you know, puts up these bowling pins and then knocks them down the second half. Uh, I just think it's really, really well done. But beyond that, what I really like about Nightmare Alley is the fact that it actually has something to say. You know, I think it it has a message that is actually quite relevant for mm-hmm. our society today, which is that. We live in a world of hucksters and snake oil charmers and flim flam artists. 
and uh that, that's a person that uh charms snake oil <laughs> snake snake oil salesman sorry i, I mixed my metaphors there. thank yeah. you for that Jeff. i like the idea of him um, walking up to snake oil and being like hey <laughs> hey how hey, you snake doing oil. how's it going yeah um but uh, we you know we are seeing firsthand the extremely deleterious effects of living in a society that's dominated by these people and what nightmare alley supposes is in that world uh, where we are surrounded on all sides by people that, that tell you, hey, you can make a quick buck if you just lie a little, if you just stretch the truth a little. This is a movie that purports to tell you, you know what? Maybe the truth matters. Mm-hmm. Maybe the truth matters. Especially and, when it like affects people's emotions, you know, and people, yes. people bet, bet their lives on the lives you're the lies you're telling too. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So uh for those reasons and all the reasons you guys said, that's why I am a huge fan of Nightmare Alley. All right, guys. Um, we're done. We get to we're s- done. Oh. That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. And that's the end of how, that chapter. How many? I want to know how many times we've had a unanimous opinion about a movie. Yeah, with the guest too. It's very. It's got to be. It's got to be very, on one hand. Yeah, you be single to, digits. Yeah. Single digits. I think um, Shang Chi. Yeah. Do you want me to change my opinion? <laughs> no, no, that's you? okay. Could you? Actually, <laughs> I hate this movie. And it's not very good. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, well, I, I love that we love this one, but we have a few more things to say about it. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. VPNs. You got to use them. I've been using NordVPN for a while now. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons to use a VPN. Cybersecurity is paramount among them. Protecting your connection, protecting your information, especially when you're traveling. Uh, I'm about to be doing a lot more traveling uh, for another job that I have. And you go to an airport, you're using an unsecure airport Wi-Fi a secure encrypted tunnel that protects my data and my privacy is possible with NordVPN. I can also have NordVPN on up to six devices like my laptop, my phone, my TV, my iPad, even my router so that all my devices are protected. And the cooler thing than that, I mean, cybersecurity is cool, but the cooler thing is that I can access content from over 59 different countries by changing my virtual location with one click with NordVPN. I live in the US, but with NordVPN, I could be anywhere in the world virtually and then access content from those regions locally. And it works the other way too. If I'm outside the US, I can still have access to all my US streaming services and I'll never miss my favorite show again. That's so cool. And if you're worried about a VPN slowing down your connection, fear not. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. You don't have to sacrifice internet speed for security. So check it out. Go to nordvpn.com filmcast or use the code filmcast to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash filmcast or the code filmcast, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Let's get to spoilers for Nightmare Alley starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm going to see this coming. 
No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Alrighty, so we, we can actually dive into the second half of this movie now. Um, so we're full spoilers for Nightmare Alley. Uh, a couple I, of things I actually, say, Dave, yeah. I want to say real quick that there was a moment in the last half hour where I I checked in with myself mm-hmm. and realized I hadn't been breathing normally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In yes. what sense? Why is that? Like, oh, I was, the last half of the movie. No, uh, the last uh, half hour of the movie. I thought, the, I thought you were talking about the last half hour of the podcast. I was like, oh, no, no. wow. <laughs> I didn't know you were hanging <laughs> no. on my every word, Jeff. No, no. Um, I've, been, I've been half asleep. So that is <laughs> very much... <laughs> Very much breathing normally. Uh, yes, but yes, it's it, it is an extremely tense uh, last last half hour. But you know what, um, Chris, you have seen the original, uh, the 1947 film directed by Edmund Golding. Why don't we talk about some of the differences, right? One of the things uh, that th- there's a couple of big differences, as you indicate, the uh, 1947 film is much shorter. I believe when the 1947 film starts, he's already kind of in the carnival, as you said, I think. And then the ending is a bit different, right? Like the ending mm. is uh, a little bit more happy in that version, correct? Yes, yes. So the ending of this version, the, the Del Toro version, is is so damn good. And uh, yes. I really I really hope we'll talk about that, that specifically that final, final scene and final shot, which is just like an all timer in my life. Like, I remember agreed. Yeah. When I saw this in the theater, the minute that scene ended, I was just like, yes, <laughs> it's like, yes, this is that scene, the type of scene I'm going to remember forever. But, um, yes. So true. So true. Yeah. But yeah. So, you know, back, back, at, back in the olden times of Hollywood, they had this thing called the Hayes code, which basically said like, you know, nothing bad, please. And, um, uh, so the original, you know, the original movie and this movie, they sort of had the same ending where, the Stan, the Stan character, you know, he loses it all and he ends up back at the carnival and he ends up landing the geek job. And the geek job is uh, this tormented, drunk, lost soul who who bites the heads off live chickens for for uh, for everyone's enjoyment. And, uh, you know, the Stan character, he, he takes that gig because he has nowhere else to go. But. Uh, because, you know, they couldn't end a Hollywood movie like that back then. They had to have sort of this very uh, unearned redemption where uh, the Molly character, who's the character played by uh, Rooney Mara in the new one, she's like, ah, let's let's forget all the bad stuff. We're in love again. And like it's just she, like, she shows up at the end, basically. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's like, everything's okay now. Right? Yeah. Was well, it, could, it could have been a, it could have just been a title card. At, at, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the end of unbreakable. Right? Three, yeah, exactly. three, Molly minutes, or, <laughs> three minutes after this conversation, Stan and Molly got together. <laughs> yeah, everything was okay. <laughs> Stan decided to give up drinking. Yeah. <laughs> he learned a valuable lesson, <laughs> but yeah. So the, the new one doesn't have to you know worry about that. Uh, and thank God, because uh, this is such a a better ending, where where Bradley Cooper is just uh, the the world's most haunted man who who realizes that you know this is his life now. His life well, the just... crazy thing is he knows, right? Yeah. He knows, mm-hmm. and he's still yes. he knows he like it's not there. There's so many of those. Uh, you know, I likened it to the Twilight Zone in my in my limerick, and I I feel like this is that same kind of progression that a great Twilight Zone episode has where, you know, you're basically hoisted on your own petard, right? That's the the classic Twilight Zone petard. Um, 
the uh, the and and oftentimes those people are in those situations and sort of despite themselves they've gotten or you know I guess more more traditionally it's even uh, you know a, a a classical tragedy you know um, like Oedipus or mm-hmm. something is mm-hmm. is the 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 main character does that thing that we the audience always were dreading they would do that we that the that the it was inevitable from the word go yeah but they are oblivious to their own yes uh their yes. own hubris you know but to have the character completely aware of how yeah. he's landed in that position was so much more haunting i thought yes mm-hmm. and they There's do this, a sorry yeah. No, well, just the re- you see the realization slowly creep across his face, right? Yeah, like, I yeah. don't think he knows from the beginning, you know. Right. But I think as the conversation goes on, he realizes, oh, this is the conversation I had with Willem Dafoe. Yeah, uh, the, recognizes- the Chekhov's tincture, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chekhov's tincture, yeah. and yeah. he's but he still says yes. Yes, mm-hmm. he's still and- down for it. That's what's so rough, man. It's, well, ugh. They do this great thing here. So in the original, the, the forty-seven movie. Uh, when he said, you know, when the guy says, you know, do you know how to be a geek? You want to be a geek? The Tyrone Power version of Stan says, Mister, I was made for it. I was made for it, right? Yep, right. And and the Bradley Cooper version says, Mister, I was born for it. And mm-hmm. that that one change of word makes the whole thing. Mm. It's like his whole life was literally leading to this. This is right. the, this like this is this right. is actually what he was meant to do this whole time. And that that just like sick awful realization on Bradley Cooper's face. Mm-hmm. And he just starts laughing and he's got tears in his eyes. Like I said, I was just like, yes. Well, the, <laughs> the born for it, the born for it thing too, harkens back to clearly this very dysfunctional relationship he had with his father. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is sort of the central unspoken thing that the psychiatrist is trying to get at is what what his relationship to his parents were and to change it to i was born for this that it's in the blood it's in mm-hmm. in his dna it is inherited you know i think that even lands so heavy yeah yeah so, and it, it makes it like it makes everything in the movie seem inevitable it gives it this mm-hmm. kind of inevitable uh, tra- uh tragedy to it yeah, right yeah. In, in the way that might be less uh, evident in the original film. Go ahead, Devendra. What were you gonna say? Um, I was also like in this vein too. Like he, he basically was responsible for killing every father figure he had in this movie too. So there is there is just a lot going on symbolically with what he's doing here. And then yeah, yeah, that that final scene kind of walled me. I sat in the theater and just kind of took that in for a while because I th- I think that alone is the single greatest thing I've seen Bradley Cooper ever do. You know. it, it is incredible. Yeah. It, it's it's tremendous acting in that scene. Um, qu- a quick question, by the way. Any of you guys seen the black and white version of this movie by any chance? No, I want no. to. Yeah. I, I have heard, my understanding is that like Guillermo del Toro uh, designed it to be seen in black and white, mm-hmm. so that informed mm-hmm. some of the color decisions that were made. Um, they wouldn't let him make it in color. Uh, but he kind of made it make, it, in, black make it in black and white. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that it would look as good as possible. In black that's and white. that's so, going to end up on HBO Max or something soon. Like if they put I the hope. uncut, if they put the director's cut of Doctor Sleep on HBO Max, like uh, <laughs> I think they could get that up there. Hopefully, it is. It is amazing. I mean, I am sad that this movie opened the same weekend as Spider Man No Way Home yeah. and got completely destroyed at the box office. But it is incredible that you know we live in a time where seven weeks after that. Um, we get to watch this movie on HBO Max and Hulu. You know, it's it's a pretty mm-hmm. amazing time to but be. But it'll a, be a movie it'll be watcher. remembered as a disaster. 
you know yeah. like I the mean, legacy of this movie won't be oh man it did so well in streaming maybe <laughs> but it'll be it, it'll this be remembered as a horrible. box office bomb but you know i think movies live on culturally after uh after the talk of the business has subsided in my opinion but mm-hmm. uh I, I don't know i mean we'll, we'll see how it's remembered it's definitely I will live say on that... in, in ways like just the theatrical and maybe six months later you know or four months later you get a dvd it is more you know alive than that yeah yeah I, I i agree i will say that i think that um chris just from the perspective of changing the ending it, that alone almost completely justifies this movie's existence you know what i mean like telling the story with an ending that feels appropriate to the story itself feels like um it's doing this story again which is based on a novel the right way you know what i mean uh because one my a question that often comes up is like why this story why now you know i have i have my answer to that question which is like i think thematically it's very mm-hmm. resonant but um but for others who might be asking the question i think like just having an appropriate ending is uh is really worthwhile what do you think chris yeah that's that's a great point um and i also just think it's it's also just a matter of you know this is this is what del toro can do now you know there was there was that period there where, you know, it felt like every month it was like, Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro is going to direct this movie. And then oh, that movie is not happening. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the, the shape of water went on to, you know, win a bunch of Oscars and it got him that clout where he could just literally do whatever he wanted. And uh, he spent that time since then, you know, mostly producing stuff. And this is, you know, his, him, him back behind the camera. And uh, it, it does just feel like, this is, you know, this is the right move, the right story for him to be telling right now, because uh, I don't want to make it as like dramatic as being like everything he's been doing has been building to this, but it's, you know, he's, he's been assembling this body of work that allows him to, uh, you know, make a very expensive film noir about awful people doing really <laughs> terrible things. And, you know, uh, I hate that this movie flopped, but I, don't think I expect it to be a huge hit anyway, just because, you know, you can put all the, the famous people you want in a movie, but uh, some people don't, you know, some people don't want to have a bad time, I guess is the best way <laughs> I can put it. And uh, I I have no problem with that. Every day is a bad time for me. So. <laughs> I also feel like, uh, you know, as somebody that doesn't pay a ton of attention to uh, marketing, i.e. trailers, etc. You hear uh, Guillermo del Toro made a movie called Nightmare Alley. Yes. Wow. That's going to be a horror film. Right. You know, yeah. that's going to have scary monsters in it. And, uh, you know, I think that that's not this movie at all. Right. And while this movie does have some some thriller and even a, a, a bit of gore, it's so not what, you know, it's not... Um, um, uh, which we call it Pan's Labyrinth, right? right it's not right. It, it, and I, I think that probably uh, affects it as well. People hear his name, which is sort of synonymous with kind of horror-y stuff, and uh, and Nightmare Alley. It's really unfortunate. I think that 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 probably played a part in it. Mm-hmm. I think Chris, you and Devendra are probably the ones on here that might have followed Guillermo del Toro's career the closest. Do you have any kind of uh, movie project that got away that you're like, oh man, I wish that had been made? By the way, I do want to point out there is a Wikipedia page entitled <laughs> Guillermo del Toro's Unrealized Projects, yeah. and it I, has I like think there, there's <laughs> the the is it one or two movies? It's it's the goddamn Hobbit movies. Yeah, what would yeah. those have looked like? Because, exactly, that, uh, that that was a big one. That trilogy 
I, I, I wiped it from my memory. You know, I'm never going to revisit those movies. He was supposed movies. to direct The yeah. Hobbit. He co-wrote uh, yeah. one of them as well. But yeah, he was supposed to direct the second one when it was two movies. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, any uh, any Guillermo projects that you're like, man, I wish that had that had happened? You know, I feel like a lot of people will say At the Mountains of Madness. Yes, but that's the for, one that everyone brings up is At the Mountains mm, of Madness, yeah, right? But yeah. for me, it's always going to be The Haunted Mansion. And he mm. got to sort of make that with Crimson Peak, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love Crimson Peak. But it's always going to bug me a little bit that we didn't get, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Haunted Mansion. And, they're you know, they're making a new one now. and And I'm sure, you know, it might be fine, but it's I'm always going to be like, God damn, I wish that was... I'm sorry, am I allowed to curse on your show? I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. All good, all good. Yeah. But uh, it's like, I'm just always going to be like, you know, oh, I just wish we got that, you know, the Guillermo del Toro Haunted Mansion. Because mm-hmm. not only would I do, I think it'd be a good movie, it just seemed like that was like his dream project. It was like, oh, that's what he wants to do. And you yeah. won't let him do it. Damn you. But so that's always going to be the one that I, I really wish he got to make. And there yeah. there are rumblings, I think, of at, something about Netflix and At the Mountains of Madness, right? So maybe right, yeah, happen. yeah. yeah he he gave an interview recently where he was saying, you know, Netflix is very open to doing pretty much whatever he wants. So sure, you know, yes, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. when you don't need to make money at the movie theater, anything's possible. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I really am glad he got the the opportunity to make this and and that it you know is uh, available on streaming. And I, I plan to buy the 4K Blu-ray whenever it becomes available. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what else to point out about this film? I have to say, Ezra Grindel is an excellent bad guy name i just have to put that up <laughs> yeah. he's very like, good don't even need to meet the character ezra grindel is the person's name and you kind of know everything you need to know about that character but guys up to no um, good yeah i really i really like the second half in terms of again how it just there's this kind of terrible feeling of inevitability mm-hmm. in the second half and, and he does lay it on a little thick like the tarot card reading i don't know if we really needed that but it's like you know Every step this person's taking is taking him a closer uh, a closer step towards doom, mm-hmm. uh, and it just you really feel kind of this like you said, Jeff. You know, holding your breath, uh, like you, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's not going to be good. Yeah, it's a slow motion and, right. car, car crash. Yeah, and he has yeah. he has all these these chances to you know pull out. To, the Rooney Mara character is like, don't do this, and even the Kate Blanchett character, you know, who eventually mm-hmm. reveals her true colors. At first, even she's like you do not want to do this. And he's, just, <laughs> and he's just like, ah, I'll do what I want. Nah. And he just, yeah. you know, so he has all these opportunities where it's like, that's the sort of thing where, you know, speaking from my personal experience of when mm-hmm. I was a, was a horrible carny who conned people. No, um, <laughs> when I, you know, no, when, when you do something really friggin' stupid and then you're laying in bed that night and you're thinking of all those little like right turns you should have just taken before you got to that stupid mm-hmm. thing. And you're like, if I had just gotten there, and I just feel like that's that character. He's just, you know, that's his fate now, just biting the heads off chickens and thinking about all the times the women in his life were like, please stop what you're doing. Multiple women just coming, you know, Tony Collette, oh, they're all coming up to him and being like, please don't do this, please. Stan. And he's just yeah. like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And now I bite the heads off chickens. I will say, uh, you know, I think it was it wasn't too hard to predict that he would eventually become the geek. Um, mm-hmm. I think the movie is like heavily hinting at it. I was watching it with my friend Carter, and she said, "We, you know, we, we were finding out what the geek is, and she's like, he's going to be the geek by the end." She'd never yeah. seen the film before, but you know, it's a and thing. By, that, by the time they have the conversation for steak, it's like, yeah, yeah. You're, it's you're like just mm, I wonder the why they're out. taking all this time to explain all this, you know. And then there's also like visual foreshadowing too. Like there's many mm-hmm. scenes where you see like Bradley Cooper in the foreground. And then the the geek in the background, and a yeah, um, yeah, couple yeah. couple things about this geek concept. By the way, first of all, 
I think I, I didn't really. I had never heard the term geek used in this way before. Really? So, really? Wow. Yeah, I, this is my first time hearing Amazing. the term geek used in this way. So that's it's like, well, I didn't know that the term that's frequently used for people who like movies <laughs> really is the same as the term for like it's, this it's not degenerate. Just it, it is the outcast of society. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. don't want to deal with. It's the outcast of society that like yeah. uh, it performs unspeakable acts uh, inside such a cage. A, such as review movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I, I also, um, I, for some reason, I was reminded of this bit in Seinfeld where w- when you first see the geek and they throw a chicken down and he starts like eating. And I'm like, you know what? There's nothing that distinguishes this guy from just a, a person who is imprisoned by the carnival pr- people. It's true. Um, which obviously he ends up being. And it wow. reminded me of Jerry Seinfeld's bit about luge the, <laughs> at the Winter Olympics and how... There's nothing about luge that, like, luge could be a completely involuntary sport. Like, you just, like, <laughs> strap a guy to a sled and just, like, have him go down. He's just, like, clinging on for dear life. Um, anyway. Well, but like everything in the carnival, th- th- that's the whole point, right? Is mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing to distinguish it except the narrative, right? Mm. There's nothing to distinguish the bearded lady from... You know, or the this the strong man or any yeah. of it. It's mm-hmm. all about the narrative, the 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 fanciful mythology that's created around it. Mm-hmm. it. It is weird to me that the carnival has like all these sort of conventional attractions, and then this one attraction that's literally a crime. Yeah, they, they <laughs> you know, a lot of them well, did that. A lot most of, of them were crimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you said like it, somebody who's never been to Coney Island, Dave. So. <laughs> Very, very true. Very true. But uh, I mean, a lot of these things were were mm-hmm. only existed to uh, pickpocket people who whose attention was being held by something else. That, right. You yeah, know? that's true. That and we see that with like uh, the Tony Collette character and the David Strathen character. And and I I love you know that character setting up the idea of like because it's very understandable. This is something I'm I'm mm-hmm. channeling Jeff Kanata here, right? When he's like. At the moment when they're like, yeah, so I told him the truth. You know, the guy came up to me after the act and I told him the truth. And uh, and Bradley Cooper's thoughts at that point are very understandable. He's like, why not just continue the illusion a little bit? You know, like, yeah. why why not do that? Because it's like, you can Give see the there's, gift. Yeah. Yeah, there's a benefit for both people to have that, right? Yeah. Um, well, and I you think- love, I love that the, the, the carny, the grifter uh code yes you know love it. it's, it's it, I, I love all those kinds of movies you know mammoth makes lots of movies like that there's always that like you know the honor among thieves mm-hmm. uh mentality right. is is so romantic to me with a capital r you know yeah, and it feels like it's like taking you into this world that you would never otherwise have access to you know i love right. that stuff and i loved uh, you know speaking of that scene with tony collette i loved how we got to see the mechanics mm-hmm. of how that grift worked mm-hmm. you know and how mm-hmm. simple it was yeah I loved it. Yeah. Strathairn just really sold that scene too. Like when he started going into uh, Carlisle's father and everything and just like the spell he started to weave and he had to stop himself. Like right. he like, waved yeah. his hands. Like I turn off the spell. Uh, power's off, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Power he off. Is. Power cycle this thing. It's going out of control. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that, that part is great. That part is awesome. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this movie's already great. Then you get to the second half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's Cape like two Blanchett, different movies, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then Kate Blanchett completely fucks with the entire formula, right? Like, she gets up on stage, she's like, you know what? I think you're communicating via codes. And, like, you're, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's on to them. And mm-hmm. how is he going to get out of this one? And then he, like, figures out a way to get out of it, you know, yeah. in a way that may stretch credulity a little bit. But it's still, like, incredible to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's basically Sherlock Holmes, right? He's yes, Sherlock Holmes yes. for a moment, which yes. is pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and how believable that stuff is, I think it's a little, sure. You know, it always a works bit, in the movies. Yeah. But, but it, it's, you know, the way I think the movie does a good job of selling it, you know, to you for sure. Um, it, it, I bought it. I bought it. So, yeah. I mean, the fact uh, that he nailed, uh, you know, nickel plated with ivory handles. Yeah, I'm like, it's a bit really? far. <laughs> really? <laughs> Very much like my intros for the podcast. Jeff's mm, like, mm. you you had me 10 seconds ago. Yeah, he, he, he saw what was in going. stock. He, he saw what was going. in stock at the gun store, you know? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. just remember that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I, I here's another thing, another random observation, you know. I, I, I here's a kind of extremely minor nit I have with these movies is you always see these people like rise to fame. Um, another example of this is like the prestige, like these people mm-hmm. like do really well. They, be, they have these amazing acts and hundreds of people come and they pay money to do it. And then you never see them really do that much with that money. You know what I mean? They always want more money. I know I mean, they, that I hotel know... room is pretty nice. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. I feel like that Literally hotel... every part of his life improved, you know, uh, from a style point of view. Well, that's true. That's true. But he's living in a hotel room, which is probably comped. You know what I mean? So it's still a very know. nice hotel room. So, it's yeah. true. Do you it's see true. when it, anybody shows up? It's like room service for everybody. You know, that's the kind of thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, any other thoughts on uh, on Nightmare Alley? Well, lots of thoughts. Do we th- do we think he purposefully killed Straight Thing's character, or was that just him like you know drinking too much? It you know, felt. On, on, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Go yeah. Ahead, Chris. I was just gonna say on that note, you know, really bad idea, William Dafoe, just yeah. keeping keeping. Why are they like, side by side? <laughs> yeah. Why? It's like I'll put the poison booze right here. <laughs> it's in a red box, so it's safe. I mean, this this coming from the man who uh, you know who literally has jars of babies everywhere. Yeah, you know? that's true. <laughs> he doesn't. It's not like his his jar etiquette is very refined. <laughs> Let's just, that's true. Yeah. He has no problem like dumping the geek off in the rain. <laughs> And yeah. talking about Hitler during that like really clumsy exposition, or he's like, "Did you yeah. hear about that guy with the Chaplin mustache?" Like, all right, yeah. dial it down just a little bit, Willem Dafoe. But I thought, uh, I, I thought it was um, ambiguous when he did it, but then <laughs> later on when he's uh, talking to Kate Blanchett's character, it seems to indicate that he was he did it accidentally. That yeah, was my yeah. interpretation. He blames himself, or I don't even know if he if he gave him the poison, but I think Pete just you know it was his time to. Uh, to, to die yeah yeah w- was it poison that he gave him that was a little bit yeah I don't, yeah I, see they don't they don't actually in the in the 1947 movie they actually make a point of being like pete drank the wood alcohol and they don't he's, actually they say it they say it in this movie do oh, they like when when he comes in with the box of cartons he's like here is the wood alcohol for the show and pete gives him a wink is like ah yeah for the show yeah uh, right, right. yeah so yeah. i guess yeah yeah. yeah yeah so i guess he was already drinking it so it, it was just him blaming himself, you know, for uh, for killing Pete, which yeah, is the yeah. thing he tends to do. Befriends an older man and then, and then, uh, and then kills, kills them. them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Punches their noses into their heads. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, my gosh. What a brutal That's thing a, at the end. That, I love that, that sequence that from from, you know, from them being in the car and him mm-hmm. explaining how it's going to go down and you just feeling that dread of knowing <laughs> yes. it's going to go wrong. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and how that all plays out and the sort of methodical way that Del Toro forces you to be in that situation. And and then that that moment where Richard Jenkins is, he's like, get on your knees and pray. He's like, hell with that. You know, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's it, it's so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ugh. I agree. I agree. Really well done. And then he beats Richard Jenkins to death. And then uh, 
he he kills Holt McCallany as well. Yeah, you know? how dare you? How dare you? Rather brutal fashion. Pretty yeah. awesome though. I gotta say, you know, when you think that this guy has been, you know, talking shit the whole time about how, like, you know, you don't want to mess with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess you up if you mess with this old man. And he's like, oh, I just run you over my car. I, I think the realistic yeah. thing is the car would just like stop in place because Holt McCallany is a brick. He's a towering brick. <laughs> and no car can uh, can overrun him. There Indeed. are so many sequences in this movie in the second half that I don't think I'll ever forget. By the way, like the. The Rooney Mara as the ghost with the blood on her hands. The way, <laughs> the scene where Mary Steenburgen kills herself. Oh, oh my gosh. Her husband. Like just Brutal. Like simple, quick, horrific things that will live in my brain forever. So thank you, Guillermo del Toro. That is why I watch movies like this. You know, like, yeah, I just uh, think it was a nice that. decision. You know, um, Chris, tell me if this is in the original, but I think it was an interesting decision to have the news of the uh, Kimball <laughs> people their death broadcast on the radio and that like alerting Holt McCallany to the fact that something's wrong. Does that happen in the original as well? I don't remember that in the original. So yeah, uh... but it's, it's a cool sort of storytelling decision that like that would indeed trigger Holt McCallany's spidey sense that like something's terribly wrong. Yeah, here. You, need, yeah. you need a reason for him to, to get up and, and see what's going on. And that's, that's, that's a yeah, perfect one exactly. right there. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, I gotta say, I, I think that Stanton Carlisle, AKA Bradley Cooper's character really like, it's just at some point it's become so dumb what he's doing because when they like accost him and strap him to the lie detector and you get the sense that if they detect that he's lying they're going to kill him absolutely yeah you know? yeah, yeah. And then he like he's like no, you know this is a this is a person I want to continue doing business he could have just stopped right there he could have been like you right. know what well that's that's I'm, I'm his hubris yeah. right is, yeah is exactly he exactly. he believes he's smarter than everybody else in the room right you know? yeah 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 and it's just yeah, like. like he, he's like not good at planning ahead. He's really good at like <laughs> spur them up. Cause like even yes. the, you know, the end thing with the ghost, like he doesn't think ahead of like, right. Like what I don't know possible about possible permutations of how this could play out. Right. Like yeah. I know if I saw the ghost of like a long lost love him, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to get on my knees. I'd be like, I'm going to walk towards that ghost. And yeah. uh, for some reason that never enters into his head. He's just like, I'll, I'll take care of this, this entire situation. And it goes wrong. Like, so spectacularly because he, he's like unable he's like he's his own worst enemy he can't get out of his own way because in his mind he's like there's nothing i can't charm my way out of and he's so incorrect about that because he, he screws up constantly in this movie he just keeps getting lucky in the end until he doesn't get lucky anymore indeed indeed all right folks any other thoughts uh, or shall we wrap it up there? I think overall, it, so many great things to love about this film. So many great sequences. Uh, so many great performances. It's just great. It's a great movie. Great, great movie. movie. It's pretty good. Truly yeah. really great. I mean, also, definitely sh- would have been on my top ten. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. Probably same for me. Um, also, shout out to Kim Morgan who co-wrote the screenplay with Guillermo del Toro. So it, it is great. I'm, I love this collab, and uh, I hope to see him and both of them like doing more cool stuff like this down the line. Indeed. All right. Well, at the end of the day, it is extremely impressive that in this environment, Guillermo del Toro made a movie. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen, uh, whose newest project is Varsity Blue. Check out his band, The Midnight. Uh, Noah Ross is the one responsible for our weekly plugs music. Uh, filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith is responsible for a spoiler bumper. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Chris Evangelista, thanks so much for joining us, man. Um, why don't you let people know where they can find your stuff? 
Oh, uh, I am at SlashFilm.com, uh, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelist413, where I just post miserable stuff all day. Follow <laughs> me, won't you? Well, you're really selling it. You're really selling it. I know. It. Yeah, like, I'm, yeah, just, yeah. I'm just honest up front. I'm giving people, <laughs> giving people what they want. <laughs> Chris Evangelista is an editor and chief film critic at SlashFilm.com. Chris, it's been a, a real pleasure, man. I've uh, been wanting to do this for a while and thought this was the perfect movie to do so, and I, I think I was right. So yes. uh, really appreciate you joining us tonight. Okay. Next week, we're going to be reviewing the new Steven Soderbergh. There's a new Jean-Pierre Genet movie and a new Steven Soderbergh movie coming out next week, and neither of them are coming out in theaters. Amazing. Um, Steven Soderbergh's new movie, Kimmy, hits Net- uh, HBO Max next week, and Jean-Pierre Genet's movie uh, hits Netflix next week. I mean, like, uh, we're going to be... Yeah. Soderbergh film it on a uh, Apple Watch? What I don't know. I don't. We're going to find <laughs> Go out. GoPro. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say... Uh, you know, I am pretty scared about this movie because, first of all, it's two and a half hours long. Uh, again, secondly, with the two and a half hours. And secondly, uh, as far as I can tell, as of us recording this right now, there is not a single review of this movie online, which oh, is I generally like a bad sign. That's happened but, a lot for his streaming things. Like, movies have come out. I forgot they even exist, you yeah. know? So, yeah, there, there's that. Yeah, Chris, it's what were you going to say? It's embargoed until uh, the 9th. So. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it, Chris? I actually haven't. I'm getting a screener tomorrow. So. Okay, so you, yeah, so very few people have seen it. So I am really curious, and we'll find out together. But again, the movie's Kimmy. It's what we're going to be reviewing here on the Filmcast next week. All right. Until then, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.